Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Justin Wynn. I hope you'll bear with me this morning as my voice is a little rough, but we'll get through this interview, and thankfully you get to hear more from Dr. Evans than from me. Today we're going to be interviewing Dr. Craig Evans, who was on The God Solution Show last Easter. You can get that show at godsolutionshow.com. Dr. Craig Evans is a world-renowned evangelical New Testament scholar and Paysant Distinguished Professor of the New Testament at Acadia Divinity College of Acadia University. He is an elected member of the prestigious SNTS, a society dedicated to New Testament studies. He's authored and edited more than 60 books and hundreds of articles and reviews. He often lectures at universities across the world. He's lectured at Cambridge, Oxford, Durham, Yale, other universities, colleges, seminaries, and museums. He regularly lectures and gives talks at popular conferences and retreats on the historical Jesus, archaeology, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and the Bible. He is often interviewed on the radio and on TV networks like Dateline, NBC, CBC, CTV, Day of Discovery, and many documentaries aired on BBC, the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, History Television, and others. He's also served as a consultant for the National Geographic Society and for the Bible miniseries that was on the History Channel recently. I think it's their best-selling program ever with the History Channel. Anyway, it was great, but he was a consultant to that as well. Now, we're going to be talking to him about something quite significant. It is the very first first-century manuscript ever discovered of the New Testament. So the critics that say we can't trust the reliability of Scripture because who knows what was said and who knows what was written and all we have is later manuscripts. We do have some manuscripts from the second century, and textual criticism gives us all the reasons in the world to be confident in what was originally written, but we don't have any actual manuscripts from the first century, literally from the time period of the people that heard Jesus speak with their own ears. So recently, there was a fragment discovered of the Gospel of Mark that dates back to the first century. And this is outstanding news. This is groundbreaking. This is exciting. This is exhilarating for anybody that follows Christian apologetics, biblical archaeology, any of these things. And it is really exciting that we get to hear about it straight from Dr. Evans. Yesterday, there were news outlets that had a lot to say about Dr. Evans in particular and this find in general. Some of them misrepresented some of the facts. And so Dr. Evans is going to clear that up for us. But he's also going to give us a lot of information about this fragment, studies that are going on, and a lot more. It's going to be a great interview, and I'm so excited that you're listening this morning. Thanks a ton for tuning in. Today will be the first part of our interview with Dr. Evans. We'll continue the second part next week. So let's get right to the first part of our interview with Dr. Craig Evans concerning the earliest manuscript of the New Testament ever found. Hey, Dr. Evans. Hello. How are you doing this morning? Okay. That's great to hear. Thanks for being on this morning. Oh, you're very welcome, uh, Nate and Justin. I'm glad to be with you. Well, tell me about this breaking news yesterday. You sent me an email, and then I got on the news, and I saw different media talking about exactly what your email discussed about this recently discovered fragment of the Gospel of Mark. Would you clue us in a little bit about what's going on here? Yes, I'm happy to. In fact, uh, I usually don't take such a proactive uh, <clears throat> view on, on uh, 
media like this, but because the story just got legs and went running off in all directions and there was misrepresentation, I've uh, been a little more uh, aggressive in trying to get the word out. It all started with uh, uh, a lecture I gave last March, and it was at a conference, and I just talked about old manuscripts for the Bible, particularly the New Testament. And then I spent just 10 minutes talking about how manuscripts are being recovered from mummy masks. It's basically ancient paper mache. And it's not just mummy masks, but also uh, other types of paper mache, or what we call cartonnage. Uh, the Egyptians would make uh, just all sorts of shapes, animals, and things like that. But the mummy masks were clearly the, the most popular. Well, there are thousands of these. Uh, some of them are in excellent condition. They're on display in museums. Some are not. They're very poor condition uh, from antiquity or rough handling in modern times, whatever, weather damage, whatever. And uh, the paint has chipped off on the mask itself. Uh, the mask is damaged. Part of it's gone. Anyway, from the time that these masks were first being found over 200 years ago, it was noticed that they are made from papyrus. That's ancient paper. Paper was precious, so it's rare that unused papyrus uh, was used in making the mask. And so that meant the papyrus had writing all over it. And, uh, of course, we realized, wow, you know, some of these masks date back to the first century. Many of them are second century. If we can uh, recover the papyrus, uh, we might be able to read text fragments, in some cases whole pages of text that date back to the first and second centuries. So that was the idea behind it. Now, nobody has any intention of, of uh, deconstructing or dismantling uh, museum-quality specimens. So it was just this older stuff, and it was discovered the Trixie is how do you get the glue to dissolve without taking the ink off the paper. And it's just a type of detergent, and so in warm water, it's it's almost like a dish soap. And the mask is soaked, and the glue dissolves the papyrus that can be pulled apart and laid out on a table where it dries. The scholars can then read the text, and uh, most of it is Greek. At that time, in the first, second century, uh, just about everybody in Egypt spoke Greek. So that's what was happening. Well, along the way, some biblical fragments were found, and uh, some of these uh, masks, many of them are pagan, and they didn't value uh, Jewish scripture or Christian scripture. And so these writings were torn up, pages pulled apart, and used in the process of making these uh, masks. And along the way, about three years ago, a fragment of Mark, Mark's gospel, was found, just a part of a page. We're not talking about a great deal of text. And uh, there was reason to believe that uh, the mask was made uh, sometime in, at the end of the first century, and the Mark fragment probably dates to the 80s. Now, if this is true, if it is borne out, uh, then it'll be the first time we have a fragment of the New Testament, the Greek New Testament, reaching back to the first century. That's quite astounding. That would be moving back 40, 50 years uh, from our other earliest one, which is a fragment of, of John's Gospel, which is chapter 18, a few verses, very small fragment, and it's dated somewhere between 120 and 140 A.D. So this would be a big jump back uh, for this fragment. So that's exciting. And other fragments have been found that date to the 2nd century and the 3rd century. So that's what's going on. And I gave a lecture on this topic, as I said, last March, 
It was recorded and somebody posted it on YouTube. And why it took months and months, I don't know. But uh, just over a week ago, a reporter for Live Science noticed it. Thousands of people have looked at this uh, YouTube. And uh, he called me up. His name is Owen Jarris. And uh, he interviewed me and he got the facts right. And he published the story Sunday, uh, January 18th and then reposted it on the NBC News uh, website the very next day, Monday the 19th. But that just triggered an avalanche. Some of the reports were fine. They simply summarized what uh, Mr. Jarris had reported. But others, I don't know what they did. They got a hold of a lot of ideas and interviewed other people and made outlandish claims, gave me far too much credit, and uh, we can talk about some of these things uh, as as the show goes on. But uh, it just got way out of hand. And it got to the point we were being, I think, very unfairly criticized. And so uh, that's why I sent out uh, some news releases to you and to others, uh, radio people, bloggers, and other media people to try to get the facts straight be- before it, uh, you know, yeah. it just continued to mislead the public. That was very troubling to me. So would you uh, care to clear up some parts of these stories that were misrepresented? Yeah, sure. Uh, For one thing, some of it was innocent. It wasn't mean-spirited. Like people would claim that uh, I'm the one that found the fragment. Well, I didn't find the fragment. I have never said that. In fact, I make it clear that it was uh, was not found by me but by others. Uh, I suppose people thought that because I'm part of the same group that found it. It's called the Green Scholars Initiative. I'm just a, I have a volunteer consultative uh, role, as do two, two or three dozen other scholars. I talk about other things, how long uh, ancient books were in use before they were thrown away. That's my area, especially. And anyway, uh, so I've been. Uh, I, people say I'm the guy that has recovered it. Others say the work is going on right here in Nova Scotia, Canada, where Acadia University is located, where I teach. That's not true either. Uh, Some have, uh, I think this is where it gets nasty. I've been accused of destroying antiquities, which is nonsense. And uh, I do not take apart these masks. What I do is look, look at what is found. But even then, I can't look at it until uh, they're ready to publish it. And uh, I'm not a paparologist and a, or a text critic. I know the subjects, but that's not my expertise. Others on the team who have that technical expertise, they do that. And so, as I said, what I do is talk about uh, how long the ancient writings were in use. That's my own area. But I do consult with the Green Scholars. I was at the lab in Oklahoma City last March and looked at some of the recent recoveries. And, uh, and of course, we're asked not to uh, specify, not to share the details of what we see. These things will be published in a couple of years, and uh, that's a very reasonable time. It always takes a few years when discoveries are made and testing is required. So I think those were some of the things. But I think what really uh, bothered me the most, and I wondered where it came from, and I only learned about it uh, last night by doing my own uh, searching online, I've been accused of being an apologist who, for the sake of conservative Christian doctrine, I think nothing of destroying antiquities. And I think that really ticks me off. 
and I think we're done. It comes, it goes back to April and May of last year, and uh, the well-known uh, popular apologist Josh McDowell had learned about uh, uh, the discovery of the Mark fragment. And so uh, I don't blame him at all, but he talked about how this would be significant. It would prove that the New Testament documents are reliable and so on. And I think this is why some scholars around the world got the idea that this is some kind of conservative Christian thing. And uh, and then I think in a mean-spirited way suggested that uh, conservative Christians don't care about antiquities. So if they'll destroy anything if they can end up proving somehow that the Bible's reliable or some kind of a narrative like that. So I think that's where it got going, and it was applied to me, and I just, I just thought that was annoying. Just to set the record straight, uh, not all the green scholars are Christians, and not all of the green scholars who are Christians are conservative. We have Jewish scholars uh, people of with expertise of I don't know what religious stripe, if any. So the idea that this is you know a bunch of uh, fundamentalists who are destroying precious antiquities is quite laughable. So I just wanted to get that straight too. So thanks for uh, asking, so I could say something about that. Yeah, that's great clarification. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the God Solution on KDUR ninety one nine and ninety three nine FM in Durango and KDUR dot org online. So I don't know if you're able to share this right now, but how much of the Gospel of Mark does this fragment contain? You said it's a small fragment, I think, but is there any way well, that you can clarify that? No, or? I can't. You know, thanks for asking, mm-hmm. Dayton, but I cannot. I can't say. Uh, I can't give you dimensions. I don't know what size it is. Uh, I have seen many fragments, and uh, lots of them are, are like half a page or a quarter of a page. So I purely, this is just pure speculation, but I would think it would be something like that, quarter of a page, which means potentially we could have parts of two, three, four verses, mm-hmm. uh, maybe an entire verse or two, uh, something like that. I suspect the fragment is larger than the John fragment I mentioned earlier that dates to about 130 or 140. So, uh, in other words, it'll be a sample, a large enough sample that we can uh, make some inferences about the quality of the text, how well copied it was, whether or not there are any textual variants, that kind of thing. So I'm sure it'll be significant, but uh, I can't give you uh, specific uh, details. Uh, originally, it, we were told it would be published last year, that it was, we were told it's delayed until this year. And you will see that in the reports. But I phoned the office and asked, uh, are we still on track to get it out in 2015? And I was told that it would be yet a couple more years. So that's disappointing. That's frustrating. But that's the way it is. Uh, Some of this analysis is very slow. And it's not the only thing that will be published. There will be other fragments published with it. And uh, there's all kinds of testing that's being done of one kind or another, analysis of the paper, the ink, uh, uh, different kinds of photography. And so, and sometimes carbon-14, I don't know in this case, uh, I don't think this text was tested that way. There's analysis of the handwriting, it's called paleography, Uh, that helps us date things too. So that's all, that's the kind of work that's going on right now. Scholars who know what's going on and those who participate are excited about it. This is a great thing. 
and uh, and I think we all wish that uh, the, at least the first volume gets published uh, so that uh, other scholars and the general public will know what's being done. That will answer lots of questions, and I think a lot of this talk about destroying perfectly good artifacts, I think that will uh, yeah. die down too. What didn't help, uh, Date, was uh, when the story broke, uh, someone took a screen grab from my own PowerPoint presentation, and uh, in my presentation, I explained what a mummy mask is, and I showed a picture of a very attractive, well-preserved mummy mask. Well, that was the picture they used, and the implication was that's the mask that was destroyed in order to recover papyrus fragments. And, of course, nowhere do I say that. I, I just show it as a picture. This is what these things typically look like. But in my PowerPoint presentation, I show the mask that was deconstructed. And you can see it's a shabby example. The paint had been, was falling off and it was damaged. So that was just one more thing where uh, the popular media uh, just plain got it wrong. Yeah. So I know that Josh McDowell was talking about this, and I'm guessing he's part of this group. Maybe, obviously, his training isn't. No, he's not. Oh, okay. Josh McDowell is not part of the Green Scholars thing. Josh is a popular speaker. Yeah, yeah. I I know his son, who who is a scholar and has a PhD. Uh, but Josh is a popular speaker. He's not a scholar. He's certainly not a paparologist. He's not involved. But he, like the general public, he heard about this old fragment of Mark, and he reasonably inferred from that that this could provide significant evidence not only of the antiquity of the Gospels, you know, after all, some people out there don't even think they were written in the first century, but uh, it would be evidence of their antiquity and potentially evidence of, of their careful copying. So he's not wrong in that. It just unfortunately, in the minds of some, it created the impression that the green scholars involved in this manuscript recovery uh, are only concerned about apologetic interests yeah. and therefore are biased and their work can't be trusted, and that's just most unfortunate. It misrepresents the nature of the people involved in this work, and uh, I, you know, it it, it very uh, unfairly impugns the uh, integrity of the people who are working. Yeah, absolutely. And I, obviously, the time that you guys are all taking with this shows a lot of integrity in your approach. So you wouldn't be able to answer, I'm assuming, how it compares to other manuscripts, correct? No, not at this time, and uh, only a handful of people, the ones who were actually asked to look at the manuscript, only they know. Uh, most of us don't, and uh, I don't know the specifics uh, of the confidentiality here. I don't know why uh, there is this kind of, of, of non-disclosure requirement, but uh, in, a, in general sense, I can say that uh, non-disclosure sometimes has to do with uh, the fact that the mask belongs to someone else and they, they want to remain anonymous <clears throat> or they or for whatever reason, they still exert ownership over it. They've asked the green people to dismantle it. Then they own the papyri that come out. And there's an agreement. It could involve the publisher as well, who uh, they want to get their bang for their buck, their investment. I don't know. So there are different reasons, but whatever the agreements are, uh, the green people want to abide by them. And uh, and so I understand that, but this is not like it's some uh, 
deep, dark secret or conspiracy that nobody will know about for decades, like it was with the Dead Sea Scrolls, Cave 4, or the uh, Gnostic uh, books from Nagamati, Egypt. These things were not published for 30, 35 years. Uh, This thing was found three years ago. And if it comes out in a couple of years with some other fragments, all very carefully studied, uh, that's nothing, that's just fine. That's a very good track record. Nothing to be ashamed uh, about and nothing uh, to be critical about. So you mentioned other fragments. I know Josh McDowell also mentioned fragments from Romans and things like that. I'm guessing, again, you probably can't elaborate on that, but... Yeah, yeah. For him to know that would mean somebody has been leaking things. So I don't want to comment on it. Uh, the, the only general thing that we're permitted to say is, yes, we are finding fragments. Um, I'm not aware of anything that's first century, but there are fragments that are second and third. Second century New Testament fragments are very rare. There are only a handful of yeah. them. And to add uh, uh, potentially a few more to that list uh, is significant. And when you said no, first century, you meant? except for this one fragment that's except in the for the mark one okay yeah. got it yeah and of course you know scholars will weigh in when the evidence is presented and uh the evidence might be interpreted differently it might be that they uh, that scholars decide it's not first century it's hard to say but that's a daring claim uh they don't just say first century they say the 80s that's crazy they actually yeah. specify a particular decade so I'm thinking there must have been some significant chronological information in the mask itself. Perhaps uh, your listeners sh- should know that uh, it's only 5 to 10% of the papyri recovered from these masks are literary, that is, literature. The bulk of the material, 90 to 95%, is what we call documentary, uh, letters and business papers. In other words, it's not literature. Well, what's good about the documentary material is that it's often dated. You can have a specific date. So I suspect that the Mark fragment found along with documentary papyri, that's probably how we have an idea of the date and how uh, they're, they're convinced that it's not only first century but uh, want to date it uh, more precisely to the 80s. But we'll all have to wait and see when it's published, uh, whatever that is, in a couple of years, these details will then be discussed. So since it is believed that the Gospel of Mark was written in Rome, does it surprise you that a copy written so soon after the original would have made its way to an Egyptian mummy mask? No, not at all. Um, there used to be this idea, I, we, uh, my students and I laugh about it, uh, a German scholarship, for example, 150 years ago, would uh, talk about how if the Gospel of John was written in Ephesus, uh, then it, it would take 20 years for a copy finally to make it, make it to Egypt or something like that. And uh, since we have found, that was back before the papyri had been recovered, tens of thousands of papyri have been <clears throat> recovered, and many of them are documentary, as I just said, and so they have dates. Well, you know what we find? We'll find a letter that's uh, written in Oxyrhynchus, and it has a certain date on it, and uh, it's addressed to somebody in Ephesus or somebody uh, perhaps in uh, another city on the other side of the Mediterranean, and a month later the answer has been returned. And so there's the copy of the letter sent and the answer to the letter received, 
and the two letters are side by side along with some other papers, and we find them, and we realize, well, you know, you could have a, a fast boat, these packets, as they're called, uh, could take the mail and cross the Mediterranean in a matter of just days and uh, and then deliver the mail, and uh, and a person then respond to it and mail it, and just a week or two later, uh, the person, the sender gets his reply. So the idea that if a document was written uh, in Ephesus, which is today Turkey, uh, or was written somewhere in Greece, or even Italy for that matter, the idea that it would take years before the document could migrate uh, to this other place like Egypt, it, it really reflects a lack of understanding of how rapidly documents traveled uh, in antiquity, almost as fast as today's mail moves. Not quite, but almost. Well, that was the first part of our interview with Dr. Craig Evans. You'll have to tune in next week for the second part of our interview with Dr. Craig Evans concerning the first century fragment of the Gospel of Mark. What an incredible find. You'll have to tune in next week to hear the rest of this interview. Well, what does all this mean? Finding something like this does exactly what Dr. Evans says in next week's interview. He says it is another brick in the edifice of the reliability of the New Testament. When we find things like this, we realize that what we read in Scripture is actually what was written by the people that wrote it. We can ascertain with a high degree of certainty what really was written and how that applies to our lives. We can know God's Word with certainty. Now, this isn't just archaeology or history. It's far deeper than that. The Bible tells us how each of us can have a relationship with God not by anything that we do, but simply by putting our faith and our trust in him. Knowing the reliability of scripture gives us all the reason in the world to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that you, me, every one of us are sinful and that Jesus came and lived a perfect life on this planet and died for each of us. See, the Bible says that sin must be judged. God is just and he cannot tolerate sin. Fortunately for us, he did not demand payment from each of us for our sins because we would have no way of paying such a price. But he came as a man, God in human flesh, Jesus Christ. He took our sins on himself. Colossians says he nailed the record against us to the cross. He did that for you and I so that anyone who puts their faith and their trust in him could begin a relationship with him, not based on anything they've done, but simply based on the gift of his that they received by faith. If you've never taken that step, I would ask you to take that this morning. The Bible says if you take that step, you'll be adopted into his family, guaranteed a lifetime of meaning and purpose on this planet, and an eternity to look forward to with Christ in heaven. You can take that step right now by expressing your faith and trust to God in prayer. You could simply say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, and I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and in my place. I ask you to forgive my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for rising again, conquering death, so that I could look forward to an eternity with you in heaven. Please be my Savior and Lord. Please make me the kind of person that you want me to be. The Bible says that if you took that step and put your faith and trust in Jesus today, that you really will be adopted into his family and guaranteed 
a life of meaning and purpose on this planet and an eternity with him in heaven. Well, I hope that you really enjoyed the show today, and I hope you'll tune in next week for the second part of the interview. Again, I'm sorry that my voice has been a little raspy this morning. Please join us this week at Jones 140 on Thursday at 6 p.m. for dinner and a discussion about Jesus. It'll be a great time. Again, that's Jones 140 this Thursday at 6 p.m. And please share this interview with those that you know. Get the word out. This is exciting news, and I'm excited that we got to share it with you here on the God Solution Show. You can get all of our interviews at godsolutionshow.com. We have almost 200 MB3s up at godsolutionshow.com. And you'll find interviews with Evans and many other scholars in the field and a ton of evidence for faith in Jesus Christ. Again, visit GodSolutionShow.com. And while you're there, check out the list of local churches and the times and the places that they meet and visit one this morning. That'd be a great way to spend your Sunday morning. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope, that you'll find him this morning if you haven't already. And if you have found him, I hope that you'll walk closer to him than ever before, confident that the evidence supports your faith. Thank you so much for listening to The God Solution Show. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.